Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And so I'd encourage you as students of Scripture to learn the difference from what you've observed or heard on Christmas cards or in Christmas plays and nativity scenes and what the Bible actually teaches. Is it important? Well, it might be. It just might be. Well, these three are wise. That's the only thing we're sure about except one other thing. They were wise enough to worship Jesus. As Pastor Sam begins Matthew chapter 2, we not only learn about the wise men, but also King Herod the Great in a message entitled, Wise Men Worship Him. Contrast the wisdom that we see in the worship of Jesus to the folly of King Herod's worship of himself. Matthew chapter 2, Wise Men Worship Him. If you weren't with us for our last couple of studies, we looked at the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth, some of the prophecies that were related to it, and of course that wonderful miracle, born of the Virgin Mary, there in Bethlehem as Micah had prophesied. And, and so, chapter 2, we kind of continue along the same lines, but there's a little bit of a shift. Matthew wants to make sure that we understand Jesus was not just a miraculously born baby there in Bethlehem, but he is in fact a hysterical, <laughs> historical, <laughs> I, maybe he was hysterical, but uh, he certainly was historical and uh, he, he existed in reality. Now, the only reason I bring this up is because there are many today, sadly, who say, well, the Bible's just full of myths, and, you know, that story about the Garden of Eden, that couldn't really have happened, and, you know, Jonah and the belly of a fish, certainly that never happened, or Daniel and the lion's den. Listen, I believe all of those things happened. I believe that they give us insight into how we got here, why we're in the mess we're in, God's plan to get us out of it. And so uh, I am one that believes the scriptures. And what we have here is a little bit of historical evidence, if you will. It's a, a testimony to the fact that Jesus was a real person. Yes, born miraculously. Yes, he preexisted spiritually. But, but this Jesus we read in chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, and uh, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. He gives us the place of Jesus' birth, Bethlehem. And uh, if you've been with us, we studied through Ruth in preparation for Matthew because it gave us some insight into the importance of that city. It is called the city of David. And, uh, of course, Ruth was there with Boaz, and David was born and raised there and, and uh, ruled and reigned there. But it is the city of David. Well, he tells us Jesus, likewise, descendant of David, as we saw in our last couple of studies, born in Bethlehem, as Micah prophesied, in Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Now, this is the first of many Herods, and as you go through the Gospels, it can get a little confusing. We'll deal with them as we come to them, but let me just tell you, this guy is Herod the Great. He's not going to be around for long. He's going to come and pass off the scene, but... Uh, he is the one who was ruling and reigning during the time of Jesus' birth. 
He began simply as a governor of the region, ultimately became king or was announced or pronounced to be king. But, but Herod was not in the kingly line of David. He was a descendant of Esau, an Idumean, and he knew he had no legal right to the throne. Now that's going to become important to us because he has the position, he has the power, he has the recognition, but here's a guy that's completely paranoid. So much so that he had his own wife and her mother murdered. He had his firstborn son murdered. He had a couple of his boys later on murdered. Now, some of them, if they were no threat or he didn't sense them as a threat to him, he let them live. And even a couple of them end up ruling and reigning after him. But here is a guy with position and power and prestige. And yet he's absolutely paranoid. Why? He knows he has no legal right to the throne that he's occupying. So these wise men come from the east. We don't know a whole lot about them. We think we know more than we do. Uh, If I were to ask you how many wise men, you'd most likely say three. And if I said, well, what were they? Well, kings. Why? We three wise men of, you know, Orient are. We've sung the song, right? And we three kings and, but, but the deal is there's nothing in the Bible text to suggest that there were only three of them. In fact, three guys with riches traveling in those days. Well, he wouldn't do, they wouldn't do any better off than they would today. Uh, they no doubt traveled in a large caravan. We assume there might have been three because they offer three gifts. But tradition says there were 12. And there's an earlier tradition that there were many more than that. And it's a tradition that says there are three. And, and so I'd encourage you as students of Scripture to learn the difference from what you've observed or heard on Christmas cards or in Christmas plays and nativity scenes and what the Bible actually teaches. Is it important? Well, it might be. It just might be. Well, these three are wise. That's the only thing we're sure about except one other thing. They were wise enough to worship Jesus. And they were drawn by a miracle. They were actually drawn by a a miraculous sign to come and worship him. And that's what we know. Wise men from the east, they came first to Jerusalem because they figured they'd be able to get directions there. It's saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, a couple other things before we move on in the text. From the very beginning, God made it clear that he and he alone is to be worshipped. When he gave the children of Israel the Ten Commandments, Commandments 1 and 2 had to do with worship and worship of God. He warned them against making any idols. Why? He said, if you make it, you'll worship it. If you worship it, you'll serve it. And we were made, of course, by God and for God. And so whenever we make an idol or serve creation instead of the creator, well, then we are in idolatry. And that's what Exodus taught God's people, not to follow after idols. The idols of the heathen, by the way, we're told in Psalm 135, are silver and gold. And if you think you have to have a little Buddha or a little, you know, something fashioned, you know, that you keep in a closet or in a little, you know, altar place in your house, listen, your TV could be, and for many, no doubt, is an idol. 
More likely, though, if you've got a nice car, that's probably a possible idol. And there are many things that we possess that, hey, there's nothing wrong in having them. Here's what the Bible says. If riches increase, and he says, if, if riches increase, don't set your heart upon them. And so warnings throughout Scripture in Exodus to the children of Israel, 40 years later in Deuteronomy, same group, well, their descendants, getting ready to enter into the promised land. He warns them about the idolatry of that land and not following after the idols that were in the land. Well, worship then is to be of God. This becomes incredibly important to us. Because among the many things that Jesus is called in Scripture, he is called the Son of God. And Jesus, throughout the Gospels, throughout the Scriptures, accepts worship. That's important. Why? Because if he weren't the Son of God, if he weren't God the Son, then he would have said, hey, don't worship me, worship God. In fact, 13 times in Matthew's Gospel, the word translated worship appears, the Greek word, uh, first time is here in verse 2, where they say, we've come to worship him. We're going to see that's exactly what they end up doing. Verse 8, though, there's a suggestion by Herod that he too would like to worship Jesus. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Herod, we're going to see, is out to destroy Jesus. He's afraid of him, paranoid about him, and his heart is not to worship him. And then in verse 11, we'll find that when they come into the house, something else that sort of challenges some of our misconceptions or preconceived ideas about the Christmas story, the wise men never made it to the manger. By the time they arrive on the scene, Jesus is no longer a baby. He's called a young child. They're living in the house. And we get the wise men in the house worshiping Jesus. So in any case, three times here in this second chapter of Matthew, in chapter 4, when we get there, we'll find the devil suggesting to Jesus, and this is some serious chutzpah, some serious audacity, he suggests, hey, you don't really have to go to the cross. He doesn't say it in those exact words. What he does is he says, hey, the kingdoms of the world, they're mine, and I'm willing to give them for you, give them to you wholesale. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, he says, I can give them to you. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. Now, Jesus isn't about to worship his own creation, and you need to know that Satan was created by God and for God, and Jesus is the Son of God. All things were made by him and for him. So he made Satan, and here's his creation saying, worship me. And Jesus says, hey, it is written. Get behind me. It's written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the word worship will appear in the context of Satan desiring it and Jesus saying, no, only, only God will have it. In chapter 8, verse 2, a leper comes to Jesus and worships him. And Jesus not only receives the worship, he cleanses the leper. Again, why is this important? Because there are many today saying Jesus never claimed to be God. I challenge anyone to read through John's gospel and say that over and over. Every chapter, there's some kind of declaration that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God and God the Son. But if he receives worship and then he does what only God can do, 
Well, he's got to be who he claimed to be. He cleanses the leper who worships him. A rich young ruler comes to him in chapter 9 of Matthew and he worships him and he raises the ruler's daughter from the dead. The disciples worship him after he stills the storm out there on the Sea of Galilee. Gentile woman comes to him, demon-possessed daughter. She worships and pleads with him to heal her daughter, to free her daughter, and he does. There's a story of forgiveness in Matthew 18 where worship appears. And then James and John's mom come in chapter 20 and they, they see their mom worshiping Jesus and asking that they might sit at his right hand and left hand when he comes into his kingdom. In chapter 28, he's worshiped by the women at the tomb. And then by the 11 at his ascension, Jesus is worthy of worship. Because he is creator, sustainer, and savior of all things. And so in any case, these wise men come saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? He's called king of the Jews, the Christ, a ruler, a shepherd, a young child, and my son, as the father speaks of him in this particular chapter. And then finally, in the last part, a Nazarene, and we'll get to that and touch on that. So these guys come, their purpose stated, they want to worship Jesus. Now I want you to see that though we don't know a lot about these magi, and that's really the word that's translated here, wise men, we do know they were from the east. That would have either been from Iraq uh, they're in Babylon or from Iran, Persia today. Um, that's what's east of Jerusalem and that's where they came from. Now, it's interesting to note that both of those cultures, the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian, had been greatly influenced by a man named Daniel. That's why if you've been here for the last year or so, we looked at Daniel before we looked at Revelation. We looked back at those passages to lay a foundation prophetically of the things we're studying together. But Daniel had spoken often of the coming of Christ. He talked about the time in which he'd come and the things that he would do. And so no doubt these guys had some insight prophetically passed on through the generations uh, Magi were stargazers. They studied the stars. And when they saw this miraculous event of a, a star that not only appeared over Jerusalem, but actually led them as they left Jerusalem. And we'll find that in a moment as we get into <laughs> verse 9. Excuse me. They followed that star. Now, here's what's happening. They are being supernaturally drawn and directed to Jesus. And it's not the first time that God's done things like this. When God wanted to get Moses' attention out there in the wilderness, he knew how boring it was. You know, Day after day, the same scenery, the same sheep, the same dreary life. And so what does he do? He sets a bush on fire, only it doesn't burn up. Now, that'll get your attention even in our day. But Moses was fascinated, and he drew near the bush, and all of a sudden, a voice from the bush, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground, directed, drawn, and then instructed as a result of this burning bush. Here in the passage, they're drawn and directed to what? To Jesus. And here's my point. It wasn't the bush. It wasn't like it was an end in of itself. The star, it wasn't an end in of itself. No, both were meant to draw someone 
close to the Lord so they could hear from the Lord, so they could bow to the Lord, so they could give him his due, so they could worship him. And I'd suggest to you that the word we're studying, it's meant to be a light to our path, a a lamp unto our path and, and a light unto our feet. And again, it, this word is meant to lead us to the living word, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they were supernaturally drawn, supernaturally directed to Jesus. They were Gentiles, not Jews, and yet they looked for the king of the Jews. Why? Because they understood he would be the Christ. They said, we've seen his star. We've come to worship him. Now we're introduced to Herod, already mentioned his power, his prestige, his position, and his paranoia. Herod the king heard these things. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. He was troubled because there's no real security in the things that we imagine will bring us security. If you're young and you're working or going through school thinking, man, I'm going to get some stuff and I'm going to work my way up and and hey, all that's well and good. But if you think that will make you safe or that will make you secure or that will even make you happy, you're going to be disappointed. Only Jesus can secure us. Only Jesus can give us safety. Only Jesus can give us real joy and happiness. So here's Herod. And the word for troubled here means that he was freaked completely. He was trembling visibly. Those who were looking on saw the agitation. They saw the paranoia. And that's why all Jerusalem was trembling with him. They knew his history. They knew what he was capable of. They knew this wasn't going to end well. Well, in any case... He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, before we look at their answer, we're introduced yet to a third group. We have the wise men who come to worship him. We have Herod who is paranoid and afraid of him. And then we have the religious establishment of the day. The chief priests, they were the aristocracy of that age. They shouldn't have been, but that's what they'd become. They were called by God to serve him and to represent the people to him. But by this time in history, man, their hearts were far from him. It's not that there were none that worshipped or could, but basically what they were was religious without any real relationship. Oh, they sang the songs, but there wasn't any real worship. They went through the motions But there wasn't any real passion for the Lord. The scribes, though, even more interesting and important to us. Because these are the guys who studied the word diligently. They were orthodox theologically. They were orthodox doctrinally. They would be the most like us. And there's a danger presented to us in really looking at them today. It's possible for us to study diligently, to be orthodox doctrinally, and yet never get past the word and get to the Lord. It happens sometimes. Whenever religion is substituted for relationship, that's what can happen. And here's a group of guys that, man, they could have discussed any passage of Scripture. They could have debated any passage of Scripture. They knew it inside and out. But, but, 
here's the amazing thing. While the Gentiles from the east came to worship, and Herod set his heart and mind to try to destroy this child that was born. We'll see that in the story in just a moment. These religious guys were just indifferent to Jesus. They knew where he would be born. They knew it would be the time. They were near the time of his birth. And so the very fact that people are coming asking should have caused them to say, let's go check it out as well. But they were satisfied with their studies and satisfied with their doctrines. And they weren't really interested in Jesus. And I want to say, man, make sure that doesn't happen to you. Make sure that as we worship, you're not just looking on or checking it out or or judging it. Sometimes that happens to us. Being a musician, when I go somewhere, conference or to another church when I'm traveling, I can't help but notice the worship leaders. and and But I have to shake that off and remind myself, hey, it's not about the music. It's not about the songs. It's not about those people. Lord, it's about you. I'm here to worship you. And if we gather and you don't enter in to worship, and I mean in spirit and in truth, inwardly and in reality, then you're really missing why we're together. Now, you may be, you know, not much of a singer. The Bible just says, make a joyful noise. And God receives that. Somehow it translates to him as something beautiful and wonderful, a sacrifice of praise. And so join us as we worship and understand that worship is far more than singing songs. That's just one way, one way we worship the Lord. Well, Herod is troubled and paranoid. The the wise men are there to worship. The scribes and the the priests are indifferent completely. And so they say, hey, It's in Bethlehem in Judea. Thus it is written in the prophet, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among (coughs) the rulers, excuse me, of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now you have to know again, all of these details would be even more troubling to Herod. Why? As I already shared, he was a usurper to the throne. He was not a descendant of David. He wasn't even a descendant of Jacob. But he was far from a shepherd. There were some things he did right. I don't want to paint a picture of Herod the Great as absolutely without any you know, goodness or kindness in him. When the people were struggling financially and the crops were failing, he'd lower the taxes. There was a time where he melted down his own gold to make sure that people had food during a time of famine. He did some good things. But that's sort of deceptive and dangerous too, isn't it? Because there are a lot of people today that say, well, I've done some good stuff. I mean, I'm certainly no mass murderer. I I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I'm a moral person. I care for others. And Herod, with the exception of being a murderer, probably had a lot going for him. (laughs) Now, I bring this up because he is so important in the story, but it won't be long before he passes off the scene. And Herod, we're told in verse 7, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them, What time the star appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. There's nothing more hypocritical than a pretense 
of wanting to worship when what's in your heart is murderous and, and hateful. And that's really where he was at. It doesn't matter if it was motivated by fear or ignorance or hatred. He had a heart that was like Satan's, a murderous, treacherous heart. And so when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I have often wondered how the children of Israel, for the most part, could not recognize Jesus and who he was, how his own did not receive him. But a closer look at King Herod shows us how this can be. When we worship ourselves and our own lives and position are most important to us, Jesus will be a stumbling block for us, a threat. Join us next time as Pastor Sam finishes up Wise Men Worship Him. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down at the Calvary Road. And your grace.